Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about role players. I'm Jess. And I'm Amy. Every week we get together to talk about a range of gaming-related topics, from creating a character to running a game, and what it all means for people who share our favorite hobby. We may not be experts, but we do have pleasant voices and a wealth of gaming experience that we're eager to share with you. Our topic today is building a history. But before we get into it, Amy, how have you been? I'm good. How's life treating you? It's about the same. How's your how's your grasp on world history? World history has never been a strong point for me um, because I like making things up rather than remembering <laughs> actual events. Excellent. <laughs> so that helps me for world building, but not so much for history class. Well, that's good because that's what we're here for. <laughs> Not necessarily, you know, not necessarily good, but it works. We can make it work. Yeah, because the first thing that I really wanted to get into with this topic is the idea of when you are creating your world and you're building your history to sort of flesh out where it's been and who was important and why the places are the way they are. Mm -hmm. A lot of us have a tendency when we create a world to pull out a snapshot that is the world as it stands in whatever present you're dealing with. Yes. You know, we'll make a map, we'll draw some borders, something that makes geographical sense without really giving a ton of thought to, like, the history of why these things look the way they do. Mm -hmm. But if you think about the best, most fleshed out settings in science fiction or fantasy or even, like, normal-ass, non-fiction world stuff. There is always history that has influenced the way that things are now. Yes. So how do we go about, as people creating games or stories or just settings for our players to muck about in, how do we go about finding the thing to focus on first? That's a really good question. And I think there could be a few different answers to it, mm -hmm. which might be why this is not often looked at as something really integral when you're making a world. Sure. It's not the first thing that people go to. No. Usually the first thing is, you know, plot and the present and how things are going to go forward. But when you think backwards, that can influence a lot of really inspirational things going forwards. So mm -hmm. let's let's come up with one answer, and maybe we can find a few other ones. But I like to think that when I'm making my own world, and I have a very particular part of this world that I want to make it stand out from any other world that I see, mm -hmm. I think about why. Why is always a very important question for writers and creators to ask. Yes. You know, if you've got the evil empire who's coming to power so that they can control this mythological resource or whatever evil empires want to do. Mm -hmm. Why are they there? Why are they doing it in this fashion? Yeah, what about society is set up in a way that allows them to flourish and come to power? Mm -hmm. Or was there even something that happened long before this that really set the precedent for you know such a villain to come to fruition? Yeah, we see a lot of... 
monarchies in fantasy, especially. Yes. Like hereditary monarchies, because that's what we think about as being historical. And a lot of fantasy is based on like medieval history Mm -hmm. of mostly Europe. Yes. But the big question is, why? Like, why is that where we always go to? Why is there a king and a princess and like your little castles and your fiefdoms? What about the world that you are creating necessitates this form of government? That's a great question. Yeah, because I'm a huge nerd, I really like thinking about fantastical governments. And it's just like... Going with the king and all of that is just so played out at this point. It's, it is very played out. And one of the things you could do is you if you really are attached to the idea of, of a monarchy... You could make the monarchy be what was in the past. Mm-hmm. And you could kind of go through a typical evolution, you know, because it has been played out a lot. Just kind of accumulate a lot of knowledge about different monarchies and how they end. And then you can make the chaos that reigns in the vacuum after a monarchy plummets and then make Ooh. that the setting for your story. I like that. Yeah, right? I, I'm a big fan of chaos driving stories, so that works. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the why, you know, why are you doing this? If you can't come up with a really convincing reason for yourself about why you're making a specific story element the way you want it to be, then shift the time. Shift the timeline on it and see, yeah. you know, how would this look if this was a thousand years ago? How would it look if it was a hundred years ago? How would this look if this is how I wanted it to be in 10 years time? Mm-hmm. What needs to happen, you know, on this timeline so that we can reach that point? Let's let's take that idea into kind of a system-specific thing, not setting-specific, because this is all about if you want to make your own setting, how do you go about that? But when you're dealing with something like Dungeons & Dragons, mm-hmm. which is the granddaddy of all the RPGs, it's the one most people play... Or at least are familiar with. Yes. In D&D, you have two player races, the dwarves and the elves, that both live for hundreds, if not nearly a thousand years, canonically. So you've got people, potentially in your party, who might be upwards of five or six hundred years old. Like, if you've got an elven wizard, that is a learned, aged person (laughs) who very well should, and you know, you'd have to talk with the player about this if you're running this game, but they should know how things have been for the last 500 years in your setting. Yeah. And I think one thing that that has a tendency to make us do as storytellers is kind of freeze the world in a certain state so that history doesn't change too much so we don't have to deal with that. But at the same time, that's extremely limiting. It is. And short-sighted. Mm-hmm. And I feel like one thing that you could do to remedy this would be to imagine yourself as one of those long-lived creatures, beings, races, peoples, <laughs> whatever whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. but just one of these individuals who's lived for a thousand years. And just kind of imagine how history on Earth would be for someone who's lived a thousand years. Right. And do you think, you know, you, especially now, I feel like a lot of things have been happening in this current climate. Oh, yeah. And and 
it feels like a lot and it feels like, oh, n this much stuff hasn't, couldn't have happened in all of time, like except right now. But that's, not, that's obviously not true. Right. I mean, if you look back at human history, going back, let's say 12,000 years, because that's about how long ago the first major human cities started to pop up around the globe. Mm -hmm. So you go back 12,000 years, that's 12 elf lifetimes. Yes. So that's like, maybe not your 12 times great grandpa, but you're 24 times. You're 12, tw elf, elf, 12. 12, 12 times. <laughs> Goodness. Uh, but that is not outside the realm of like traceability. There are families now who can pretty easily trace back 24, 35, whatever generations, mm -hmm. as long as records are kept well enough. Yes, definitely. So the idea that like, hey, you know, the last 200 years of human history have been the only time we've had this sort of rapid expansion. Well, yes, you're not wrong, but a big part of that is just we got new tech that helped us expand faster. Yes. If you are dealing with a society in the middle of its development, mm -hmm. like you've got this 12,000 year history of human development and you go to like 4,000 BCE, that's the building of the pyramids. Yeah. Like that's a couple of major empires starting to do the stuff that lasts the rest of history. Yeah. But they all came from somewhere. And you know, based on the myths and the legends that have survived from them, they had a concept of the history that came before them, just like we have a concept of the history that came before us. So if you're dealing with elves or dwarves or whatever, you've got these, like, especially with dwarves, let's say. Yes. Stereotypical dwarves... Great craftsmen, miners, they tend to build things out of stone or build it underground, and things that are built out of stone have a tendency to last a long time. So yeah. suddenly you've got like 10 generations of stuff that's just there. Yeah. How do you dig into what all of that is, and how do you do it without ending up with a bloated mess that your players will never be able to keep straight? Well, I think I think that's part of putting yourself in the perspective of that dwarf mm -hmm. who's lived for very long and has a long memory and the memories in stone all around. Time would feel different to someone that long lived. That's true. And I think there wouldn't be as much of a pressure for them to innovate quite as fast as us humans do. Of course, us humans probably don't feel the need to innovate as fast as, say, ants do. It's just in a matter of perspective, you know, however long our lives are, we have this sense of time passing, and it's going to pass at different rates depending on how long we live. Mm -hmm. And so I think because of that, you can just have a normally bloated history, <laughs> and not too <laughs> bloated, but just a, a normal history uh, over the past thousand years of this one dwarf's life mm -hmm. where what they're going to remember is not just the things that happened in the past few years but it's also going to be the very broad strokes of some of the biggest events that have shaped time over that so they might not even be as concerned about current events as someone with a shorter lifespan does because to them it's just a blip this is 
you know, something that happens and they've seen it before, probably hundreds of times. Yeah. And they're going to make it through as they have before. They're not really going to care about anything in particular unless very directly affects their life or the life of their race, or it's something that one of them has done. So if there's a time when, you know, the dwarfs are about to be wiped out in this terrible civil war that's happening, you know, between two mountains, that's, that's very, very influential on all of the dwarfs that are living in that time. You know, humans might not care about it. They might, humans might care about that if Mm -hmm. it's causing earthquakes in these human villages and human villages are getting decimated. But if there is a human war and it's not reaching underground to where the dwarfs are, are the dwarfs really going to pay attention and care? Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. And so the things that they're going to focus on is going to be directly related to their lives. It's going to have affected their lives. And it's just going to be the broad strokes because, you know, unless they have a perfect memory, they're still not going to remember everything that's happened over the course of a thousand years. This is true. I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. Yeah. So there you go. And, you know, a dwarf maybe doesn't remember what they had for breakfast that day either, but they will remember, you know, the forming of the Great Obelisk in the center of Dwarf Town. All hail the obelisk. Uh, even if that happened, you know, when they were very, very young. Very exciting thing. You know, maybe there's a great migration of dwarves that occurred. You know, that hits on something that I think is a very universal experience. We yes. have these cultural touchstones. Yes. And, like, for a lot of people, human people... In our current world, we've got stuff like, where were you September 11th, 2001? Yes. Where were you during the moon landing? Yes. Where were you during the signing of the armistice for World War One? Yes. Now, granted, that was a hundred years ago yesterday, so nobody around remembers that. But history does. History remembers it. We have our these... collective history remembers it. Exactly. These big events that we collectively hold on to. So I think a big advantage that you have is this idea of broad strokes history where you can pull out seven or eight things from the last couple of generations that are these big cultural milestones yes and as long as your players have a sense of ah yes when the peace treaty between the warring dwarven mountains was signed my character's mother was a little girl And I've heard the stories of her experience with that since I was a child. Yes. As you would, you know. Yeah. It's a proud moment. Well, and people like to talk about those moments. They like to pass on the stories. It's why people still talk about, like, where were you during the moon landing? Like, I was a twinkle in the eye of my grandparents. But... (laughs) No, that's not true. That was 1969. Both of my parents were alive, but that doesn't matter. (laughs) Still eye twinkle. They were children. Anyway. Yeah, cultural touchstones. Cultural touchstones, I think, are a really great way to flesh out the history of your world without having to go in any depth. You don't even need to have very much detail on what the events were, but just, you know, basically a headline. If you were just pulling out a newspaper over the course of our cultural history and you just had a headline for each big event. It would be, you know, a civil war between the two dwarven mountains. 
peace treaty, the building of the obelisk to mm-hmm. uh, remember the fact, you know, maybe 300 years after after the fact. Uh, maybe this big migration after some catastrophic thing happened and the two dwarves had to, like, the, the mountains had to be evacuated. Maybe an earthquake Ooh. came and one of the um, new homes was destroyed. Maybe there is some fight over this new land they have to go Like, I basically just started with one idea I came off of on the cuff, off the cuff, anyways, and... (laughs) You know what? Either way works. Why not? I'm not a tailor. So, (laughs) but basically, I just, I thought of this idea just as a random sample, and already I have a through line of history Mm -hmm. for just these two dwarven races that have presumably become one, and I kind of drew on uh, parallels to our own... Uh, our own world where I was kind of taking biblical stories of, you know, traveling, like pil- pilgrimaging. I don't know. What's it called? When they when they went to find the Holy Land. That's what I was yeah. kind of thinking in terms of the dwarves. Right. You know, their home was, was overtaken by natural disaster and they had to find a new home. So trekking across, that's, that's something that we've heard stories of before. Exactly. And that's another good way to flesh out your history is by drawing parallels to things that have already happened. Right. Um, I mean, like, the only example we have of how real people deal with historical events is our own history. Yes. So it's very understandable to take parallels from things like historical myth or, I mean, like religious text, because for a lot of people, that's the closest we have to an accurate history. Yep. You know, take from any source that you can get and do a little research and figure out, like, okay... When real people are faced with catastrophe or excess or wealth, what do they do? And I think you run into these ideas of like, all right, look at 11th century, like, Levant. Sure. Because, <laughs> I mean, at that point, you've got the First Crusades. Right. A whole bunch of super, like, Im- like self-important European folks... Going, hey, we've got to retake the Holy Land because copious political reasons that I don't need to get into on a podcast about (laughs) role-playing. Maybe I'll start a podcast about history sometime and actually talk about all of that because it is actually fascinating. But this idea of, like, a Holy Crusade or a War of Conquest is something that shows up in fantasy a lot. Yep. So if you want to say, like, okay... My campaign is going to take place during a holy war, like straight up crusade style. Then you start to think about the history of, okay, why does this place need to be retaken? Yep. Who is it being taken from? Mm-hmm. How are we How are we mustering this army? Mm-hmm. And if you've got, you know, the party of six will eventually be super powerful adventurers who are just like a part of this larger force. Mm -hmm. How do they fit in with everything that's going on? If you've got this multicultural fantasy society where there are elves and dwarves and halflings and humans and whatnot all working together, how do each of the different groups view this event? Yeah, that's great. Because it's like you were saying with like the dwarves will have a certain outlook on history that the humans won't because they're their scale of time is so different. Well, if the Orc Kingdom has only controlled the holy city of Namnori for, like, 
two generations, you know, to an elf that's going to live another 500 years, that's like 60 years? That's, I don't know, the equivalent of a few months. Yeah. The impetus is not going to be as strong unless something really catastrophic is happening or they're being drawn in for some other reason. Yes. And I think that's where we really get into why history is important. Mm -hmm. Because it's this idea of what are the reasons that drive your players and your characters to do certain things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Motivations. Exactly. Derived from history. And I know I don't have a I don't have a ton more to say on that thread, but I think it kind of sums up kind of neatly what we've been going toward. Yeah, I think so. So I guess then something else we could talk about is how do you come up with things? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, imagination runs out. We've all had it happen. It's totally fine. Yeah. But like how do you how do you I want to say reconcile. How do you reconcile with your lack of emo- um, your lack of creativity or imagination when it comes to the history of this world that you really only care about its present? Right. I think you can give yourself uh, you can give yourself outs at this point because if you can't come up with all right, what was the big event yesterday? that sparked what's going on today. It doesn't necessarily have to be some big event. Like, you can... You can either, like, pull from real-world history, or you can roll a dice. (laughs) Honestly, like, there are... There are tables and charts out there that are just writing prompts of... Hey, pick one of these things at random, and that happens, and write about it. Yeah. You can use those, especially if you're creating a campaign that's just for fun. Or if you're doing something that's like, all right, me and my five friends are going to sit down and play this game, but I want to have a sense of the world. Like, use every tool out there to give yourself an easier time. Yeah. Because, let's be real, Creating these stories and these settings and these worlds and these games takes a lot of energy and a lot of time. It does. And when that runs out, you can't necessarily just say, eh, fuck it. It doesn't matter. (laughs) But that's about the time when you turn to something else and go, okay, what have other people figured out? Yeah. And I know it's a little old hat at this point, but crib from other writers. Yeah. Look at George R. R. Martin, look at J.R.R. Tolkien, look at Brandon Sanderson, look at whoever you like with the way that they create worlds and histories, because a lot of these people have done a ton of work. Mm-hmm. And steal it. <laughs> Obviously, like, don't steal it word for word if you're trying to get published in something, or you don't necessarily want your players to know that, oh yeah, no, this is just... Uh, this is just Game of Thrones. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with taking inspiration from your favorite fiction. No. Like, you don't you don't have to look back at, Oh, yes, what did the Roman Empire do in 397 when the Gauls invaded? Nah, fuck that. It doesn't matter. 
Because if that doesn't interest you, it's not going to interest your players. Exactly. And speaking of your players, you know, if you're really at a loss, talk to them. Talk to your players and then say, hey, you're a dwarf. What do you think should have happened in the past? Like, what what are some of the, the ideas that you've had? And this could even yes. be as you're playing the campaign, you know? If you're ever at a loss for ideas, you could just turn to your characters and say, okay, I know you've made up a personal history for your character. What do you think your character's cultural history is? That reminds me of when I was starting out uh, the first of what are now my Monday night games. Like, this was almost... This was approaching four years ago at this point. Wow. I've been playing that game for a while. But our GM asked us, like, hey, make your character and send me a little bit of a backstory. And I was on a little mini vacation while I got this prompt and while I'm creating my character. And so I just, I literally sat on the beach with a notebook one day and I (laughs) wrote, like, four pages of her backstory. Wow. And I just sent all of that to the GM, and we're playing in a pre-established setting. Mm -hmm. So, like, all of the borders and a lot of the characters were already there, Mm -hmm. but based on what I made and what I sent, things changed. Like, the current changed, and the history was slightly altered to fit what I wanted to happen. And as a GM, or a storyteller, or a writer who is working with other people, Collaboration is such a useful tool. It is. And there's no reason not to use it. Yes. And there's no reason to get offended if one of your players, you know, comes up to you with a suggestion for changing something that you wrote. Like, mm-hmm. don't don't be so possessive that you're going to dismiss it without actually considering it. I think that's also very important. It's, it's tough. I know as a writer myself, like, I... You know, when you come up with an idea that you think is really good, mm-hmm. you don't want to change it for anything. But I would say sometimes the best the best ideas can come forth from collaboration. You know, even if you're immediately dismiss it as like, no, but then you think on it and you're like, actually, that would make things really great. And then this could change. And that's a really great change because it raises the stakes in a way that I would never have thought of myself. Yes. And I think you should always embrace the collaboration and the interest of other people in your work. So that you could make it together greater. Well, and the way that that so often happens is your player or your reader or whoever is helping you with this saw something that you had put down and immediately thought of a way, not necessarily to make it better, but to make it deeper. Yes. Yes. Because when you are creating something to begin with, there's a tendency to think in those broad strokes. You'll get hyper-specific about certain things, and I know every person will do this. You get really focused on the one thing. And then you hand it to somebody else, and this throwaway one-sentence bit that you mentioned off, like, just completely offhand, that twigs something for them. Mm -hmm. And suddenly that's really important. And go with that. Yeah. Embrace it. Encourage it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the only time that you can actually say no on something would be if they don't have all of the information. Yes. Like if you're if you're coming up with a historical plot device that's going to actually mean for the resolution of the current campaign 
And somebody takes offense at that or Mm -hmm. maybe not offense that was too strong, but like maybe someone thinks something else would be more interesting and they just don't understand like the specific reasons why that one event has to take place. You can still take some ideas that they have, but you can also like, you know, gently and firmly say, um, this is here for a reason and just play it and see what you think. I mean, that's the other side of this coin. It's like, don't discourage people from helping you with your setting, but don't kill all of your darlings. No, trust yourself. You you should know when you're a writer and or, you know, a DM, because when you're a DM, you're also a writer, let's be honest. That's the way this works. Yeah. And, you know, don't... You, you know you can trust your work. If, if there's room for it to be changed and altered and improved, you should go have at it. Have at it. Invite your friends yes. to join in and, you know, come up with something great together. But if you also know that what you've written is pretty brilliant and you trust that it's going to go over very well at the table, then stick with it. Absolutely. Hold on to the ideas that you're pretty sure will work. Mm-hmm. I do want to... I want to step away from this particular line of thinking because we've been focusing a lot on fantasy like in a very particular kind of fantasy yes we have but that's not all that's out there when it comes to role-playing games you're very right so if you've got something where let's say you're running it in a facsimile of the real world. Hmm. But this real world is, say, an unknown armies campaign where, hey, vampires are real. I was going to say vampires are going to show up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. How do you tailor your history so that things are familiar, but are still different enough that the sudden appearance of, oh, yeah, by the way, there's this secret world underneath the layers of ours where these monsters have just been around for centuries and they're just hidden in the darkness. Yes. Uh, I th- the first thing I think of when, you know, coming across this hidden world of vampires is they probably weren't always hidden and they've probably had more of a hand in past events than we realized. Mm-hmm. And if you can intertwine the history of this secret race with the actual workings of our past, then when it comes out that, you know, they were here all along, it's not so much a surprise as it is an inevitability. Right. If you can figure out the way the puzzle pieces connect and then turn that puzzle over, you'll see the way that it was always meant to be. That was a good analogy. Thank you. (laughs) But at the same time, you don't well, at least I wouldn't want to approach that like, oh, oh yeah, vampires are totally responsible for, like, the Kennedy assassination. No, but maybe vampires are responsible for the Crusades. Yeah. Shit, that's cool. <laughs> that's a world right there. <laughs> I want to play in that history. But yeah, you know, especially very distant history, which we don't have as much record on as we do of more recent current events, Mm -hmm. there are more holes for you to insert your own reasons behind things and to invent different events entirely. I think that's a really good way of looking at it. Fill, Fill the gaps with your own spin. Yeah. 
It's like coming up with a new mythology to explain why the world is the way it is. Mm -hmm. And you're just in control. And, you know, that gets us into just the idea of alternate history in general. Because it it doesn't have to be like, oh, well, I have this one, like, system-specific thing that I want to account for. Mm -hmm. Say you want to tell a steampunk story using Pathfinder, but you want to do it in a world that is you know, recognizable in some ways, but new in others. Like, I want to tell steampunk not in Victorian London or, like, the Wild Wild West, a la that Kevin Klein Will Smith movie, (laughs) but, like, what would steampunk look like in the Dutch expansion into and messing around with of Indonesia in the mid-1800s. That's intriguing. I mean, I'm I'm just going with, like, historical settings that people don't think about. Yeah. Because there are millions of them. History is huge. (laughs) And creating an alt history gives you an infinite list of possibilities. Yep. So, honestly, just find a bit that hooks you for some reason or another Mm -hmm. and play with it. That's the main point, I think. Play with it. Yeah. This is your chance to play with history like it's Play-Doh. Exactly. Make it your own. I love that. You're sculpting it. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I do want to touch on one more kind of completely different thing. And it's not alternate history it is what is occasionally referred to as future history future history because like if you're running like a a space game and you want the whole idea of it to be like all right this is 500 years in the future Mm. how do you convey to your players and how do you set up for yourself what happened in the intervening 500 years between what we know now And what's going on then? It's a good question. I know that there are, I think they're self-proclaimed futurists. Oh, yeah. And uh, they have entire websites dedicated to exactly this. What's going to happen in the next 10 years? Where do I see this world happening in the next 100 years? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think those are really good sources of inspiration. You don't have to, like, listen to everything that they say because... It's fu- it's the future. Like, no one's going to be 100% right about anything. Right. I mean, like, you can read all the Ray Kurzweil you want, but Kurzweil's still going to be wrong on a lot of things just because that's how life works. Yeah. So I think you can uh, you can go off of your own, you know, fears and pessimists and optimistic ideas for what the, what the future is going to be. But also, if you already have this future in mind where we're in space and... You know, uh, things are going down on Mars. Uh, I think you could try to draw lines coursing Mm -hmm. from today, thinking of the next steps that would need to propel us so that we can reach space and Mars and all of that. I think that is a that's a really important idea for everything we've been talking about is do not be afraid to hammer history into the shape that it needs to be for your present yeah because working backwards is great and can give you a lot of new ideas and inspiration but your players are going to be experiencing the present Mm -hmm. 
So whatever you do, your past has to make that work. Yeah, your past supports the present. So just make sure that it's supporting it enough that your character, your your player characters are able to firmly believe what's happening. Definitely. I don't know. I mean, you know what? We're at a pretty decent time. Do you have any final thoughts or things that you want to talk about in particular? I think we covered a lot of of this history. I think so. So if you're out there listening and you have ideas that we didn't touch on or things that you want to hear us talk about either on this topic or a new one, you can send us an email telling us everything that you want to. And uh, Amy, do you, do you remember what that address would be? Um, <laughs> Dodecahedron. Oh. <laughs> Dodeca podcast. Yes, there Dodeca it is. Dodeca podcast. At gmail.com. It's the same amount of syllables. It is. Dodecahedron, Dodeca podcast. It is Dodeca podcast at gmail.com. Don't send it to Dodecahedron at gmail.com. I don't know who that is, but it's definitely not us. <laughs> Um, or if email's not your speed and you have like a little bit or bite that you want to say to us, you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. All of that is also Dodeca Podcast. And now there is one weird one. Do you remember what our Twitter account is? Is it Podcast Dodeca? It is! (laughs) Nice! (laughs) I don't know if you remembered that or you just reasoned it out, but either way. I remembered it. At Podcast Dodeca on Twitter, you can send us all your fun ideas, tell us about games that you're running, ask us questions, whatever you want to know. And uh, while I've got y'all here, if you could, if you enjoy listening to us, you know, find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, whatever you listen to us on, and uh, maybe, maybe tell a friend. Or maybe give us a good rating or a like or whatever is there for the thing because that helps us grow and know that we're reaching different ears and gives us a reason to keep doing all this. Yeah. Plus it makes D&D more prevalent everywhere. Absolutely. And like, honestly, tell us what games you're playing. Are you are you just out there playing D&D? You want to hear us talk about that more? Or are you playing different systems we don't talk about? Are you playing a system I don't know about? Because I want to (laughs) know. We'll play it then. (laughs) Absolutely. And from all of us here at Dodecahedron, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening. And we look forward to seeing you on our next adventure.